Well, I get recommended a lot of books to read. And as that list grows, usually that list just tries to like shame me (laughs) for not reading enough. But finally, I got around to reading one book that has been recommended to me many, many times over the last four years called The Boys in the Boat. We got some people who've read it, apparently. Awesome. I don't know that I hear many whoops for a book, so that's that's great. All right. Uh, This book is about uh, the men's rowing team that won the gold medal in the 1936 Olympics that were held in Hitler's Germany that year. I didn't know much about rowing. I know a little bit now. But really, the the, the book's not about rowing. It's about the boys in the boat who persevered through adversity, learned to work together to win the Olympics, to come behind a common goal, which is a big feat because three years earlier, these 18-year-olds at at UW, just up the street, had never rowed a boat in their life. So they worked hard as poor lumberjacks and plumbers who only knew adversity coming out of the Great Depression. And they, what was in doubt was never their size, their strength, their talents, they always had that. The problem was that they were just really inconsistent. Like one day they would smoke the competition in practice, and the other day they would finish dead last. Problem wasn't their strength or technique. The problem was that they were all working as individuals. That they, that they had not become friends yet. That they actually had not begun to trust one another yet. So their coach talked to them, and then finally, at one point, it just clicked. And when they uh, began to trust one another, they took off and won every race going up into the Olympics. And this win mattered. You know, this was in Hitler's utopia when he wanted to show that there was a superior race. Well, when they won, Hitler walked right off that stage. And when they came back, everyone in the nation knew about them. They celebrated them, and they, had, they were friends, everyone in this boat, the rest of their life. And at the end of the, uh, Joe uh, Franz's life, who was one of the, Rance's life, who was one of the characters, he had this gold medal that always reminded him of the boys in the boat and the journey they had. You know, stories like this, they connect with so many because there's a longing that we all have to live a life that matters. And even more so, to come behind a cause with a specific, tight community that work together. I mean, we want to make our lives matter, pursuing something bigger than ourselves. I don't mean to be a pessimist, but even as I finished that book that I loved, at the end, I was just a little bit sad because they had this big accomplishment. But guess what? Three years later, the war still came through. And when he was holding Joe at the end of his life, this gold medal... Well, he couldn't take that medal with him. I think we all want to be a part of something, a community with a cause that goes beyond us, that goes even beyond this life. The trouble is picking what is that cause? What is that community? And will it actually deliver? Well, our passage this morning has something to say about that. We hear another story of partnership that really matters. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open to that. Uh, if you have a pew Bible that you're going to use right in front of you, that's going to be on page 1040. We're doing an occasional series that we do called Prayers for the Church that does just what it sounds like. We look at biblical prayers for the church. 
So far, we've already heard that we should pray with the end in view that Christ is going to return. We've heard that we should pray for spiritual growth that God gives. We're going to hear both, both of those things this morning in the prayer, but the focus of this prayer centers around an affectionate partnership in the gospel that abounds in love. So the, the main idea of the sermon that I think is the main idea of this text is this this morning, that the gospel creates an affectionate and loving partnership that grows over time. The gospel creates an affectionate and loving partnership that grows over time. We'll see that work itself out in in two sections in scripture. First of all, verses three through eight, we'll read about an affectionate partnership. And then in verses nine through 11, we'll hear a prayer of an, an abounding love. And this morning, if you're not a believer, I would just encourage you to listen for this and ask yourself the question, what do you think is going to give you meaning and community in this life? And consider if this message would fit that. If you are a member here this morning, uh, a Christian that's gathering with us, I would just be asking yourself right now, am I living my life behind this, this, this divine partnership that God allows us to live in? And if you're a kid here this morning, if you're a kid, I want, you're going to hear some stories of how we support other people that go to really far away lands. And so I want you to be asking, like, why are people going away to really far lands and what can we do to take care of them? So I want you to think, be even thinking about that now. Well, let's get started as we look at verses three through eight and we think about an affectionate partnership. Listen as I read. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all my partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you, but the affection of Jesus Christ. Did, did you hear Paul's loving affection for this church in the letter? I mean, right from the start, verse three, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Verse four, always praying with, with joy for you. Like he's not saying he's just always praying every second of the day, but he's saying that he thinks about them a lot. And whenever he does, he gives God thanks with joy for them. And then he doubles down on that in verses seven. It's right for him to think this way because he has them in his heart, really intimate place. And then he ends by saying that he deeply misses all of them with all of the affection of Christ. This is a pretty deep connection. But what feeds this connection? I'm sure you all picked up on it. Verse five because of your partnership in the gospel, the partnership in the gospel. He says it in a different way. Verse seven is the partnership in grace. The source of this deep affection is the partnership in the gospel. So, uh, so th- think about what a partnership is, you know, a partnership, you know, I'm, it's like a, m- a mutual participation and a single purpose 
that builds a strong relationship, mutual participation. And Paul's saying, I had this with you from the start. We actually get the backstory to this in Acts chapter 16. Paul goes to Philippi preaching the gospel, uh, and all kinds of different people join the church. A wealthy businesswoman named Lydia and her whole household are baptized. A prison jailer and his whole household is baptized. But quickly, Paul has to leave. What's going to happen with this relationship? Well, they're going to prove, the church is going to prove themselves to not be fair-weather friends. Actually, quite the opposite. They are fiercely loyal to Paul as he goes out and continues to preach and go and, and continues to be imprisoned. That's what we see there, that they support, they have Paul's back when he defends the gospel, and even when he's in prison, to the point they send a church member to go see him, Epaphroditus, who uh, brings a financial gift to support him. But it's not like he drops the bag of cash and leaves. He actually stays and ministers to them with his presence, with his love, and with his care. To the point he gets sick and almost dies, Gets better. Paul was thankful for that. And then he, Paul gives a letter to Epaphroditus to bring back. Listen, this partnership, like it means something. The proof is in the action that follows it. But again, I kind of want to ask, what, what's driving that deep of a partnership? Well, as we heard, it's, it's the gospel. It's the gospel of grace. I mean, this might sound basic, but maybe it helps for us to see what isn't listed there. It's not a partnership of being a part of the same tribe, not a partnership of having the same religious background, of the same group that look like you and act like you, the same group that has the same political views as you, or the same group that is tired of talking about political views that's with you. None of these things are what binds them. It's the gospel that supersedes all of these other tribes, all of these other groupings. This is the good news that they heard when Paul came, that actually a new community was going to be created through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul came and preached the good news of a loving God who had to be just, that humanity's sin rejected God, despised God, it also led to groups of people treating each other really poorly, just as Josh prayed. And it was really clear that there was not going to be a solution in a man, so God sent himself. He sent his own son, Jesus, the God-man, who lived a perfect life, who treated everyone around him perfectly, and he died on the cross. He didn't deserve to die. We deserve to die. The old humanity, we deserve to die. But Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, died in our place and in victory rose from the dead in resurrection, is now in heaven ruling. And the deal is that whoever believes in Jesus and turns from the sin towards Jesus, they're now bound with Jesus and made part of this new humanity, this new community that endures not only this life, but the next life. Because when Jesus returns, the wicked will be judged. Oh, but those who are united with Christ will dwell with God eternally. This is a community joined by faith and repentance that meant something, that truly delivered beyond this life. And as we wait for Jesus, it was clear that this community also had a job to do, that they were to do good works of love to one another, 
And they were to go proclaim this good news so that there would be other gospel communities that would start. That's what we call churches. And the best news of all is that this is not based on our strength, our own intuitions, the fact that we can get it right. No, this is based on God's work. Who started it with salvation, who's going to continue it until that day of Jesus comes. This is the good news that bound them together. There is nothing better to have in common with someone than this very thing. And here's the thing. Paul is saying that this affectionate partnership that's come out of this gospel has been good. It's been great, but it's going to get better. Why? Because God will continue his work in them. And as God works in us, the good works multiply. This relationship, this partnership only grows with time. And the tone of this verse is, is like, is confidence. So right now, as you're listening to this and you're a believer in Jesus, I hope this is the tone that you're feeling. Confidence that you've put your chips in the right place, that the Lord is going to bring you to the very end. He's not trying to whitewash this. He Like, to be clear, he's not saying that, like, growth is going to be linear, that every day we get better. He's not going to say that this growth doesn't come with hard things. I mean, Paul's writing from prison, and this church was having to deal with issues of unity and legalism. No, it's hard. Or even that we always get it right. I know we like to get things right. But Paul himself later says in chapter 3 that he hasn't reached the goal or that he is already perfect, but he makes every effort to take hold of it because he has been taken hold of by Christ. And there it is. There's our confidence that this abounding, this affectionate partnership will continue to grow. It's not based on you and I having a bunch of good days in a row that we get everything right. It's based on Christ holding us as we hold on to him. It's not based on the circumstances of our life going better. In fact, we know they're not going to, but it's actually that tension, that suffering that adds richness, texture, goodness even to this partnership that you can't throw anything at us that's going to take us away from this affectionate partnership that we have with one another. This is why Paul can say, for as rich as their partnership is now, It's only going to grow more because God is going to bring his work to completion in them the final day and their good works are going to just increase more. That's an amazing story then. Like the boys in the boat got nothing on that. But what about us today? What does this mean for us? I mean, do you feel like you are in a story like this right now with the people sitting around you? with the partners that we do ministry with? I want us to think about a few ways that we can feed this affectionate partnership that we have with workers, partners in the gospel with us. And again, this isn't just doing things. It's an affectionate relationship and friendship. It's not just an affectionate relationship and friendship. It's doing things. So the low-hanging fruit starts here. We should pray for our workers. Uh, It's helpful to to strategize how you pray. 
Now, I don't know if many of you have something like a prayer journal or a note going on in your phone, but maybe it's a good idea to go to the back of our directory and just write down the names of our workers and just cycle through those, maybe one a day, and just pray for them the passage that you're reading. This is why in our long prayer that we have, we always want to pray for one of our global workers and also other churches in the area because we're partnering with them. So when we pray in our service, Again, maybe a prayer can feel long and we maybe space off. I get it. I've been known to do that once or twice myself. But when we get to these workers, these partners of grace, maybe kick it up a gear. Maybe think, yes, Lord, strengthen them for this work of ministry. Like we know them. We love them. How can we relationally grow our love and our relationship, our partnership with our global workers? You know, I, I just came from a missions conference where I heard yet again that the main struggle that global workers have is loneliness. They struggle with loneliness. It's such a hard task that they've been given. They feel like people aren't there to share that with them. It's loneliness. So you can imagine why it meant so much to Paul when Epaphroditus came. What can you do to help reinforce this affectionate relationship that we have with our global workers? You know, it might look like visiting them. I know a lot of our trips, uh, often when like a pastor's going, we're doing teaching. Uh, you might teach on a trip, but listen, you could be just like Epaphroditus and go and have the ministry of presence. Bring them some American food they haven't had in a long time. Uh, take care of their kids. But that presence of love and care. Maybe you think about using some of your vacation time to go visit a partner in the gospel. You know, uh, I don't know if you know this, when you receive updates from missionaries, they can see if you've opened that or not, and they can see if you've gone through that or not, look at the email. Now, I don't know if they actually do that, but they can see that. What I do know they can see is when you respond, and you respond with something specific, and you say, oh, praise the Lord, you're able to meet with all of these people you've like, done work with over the years, and you see them faithfully serving in ministry. What a gift. Oh, that means a lot. Like, again, this is ref- reflecting an affectionate partnership, a relational partnership. But what about those, you know, workers that we haven't seen in a while? I, so it's not lost on me that it's probably, you know, with the Philippian church and Paul, it's probably been about a decade since they've seen each other. But that didn't affect this church's affection for Paul. And so maybe if there's a worker that you don't personally know, I would encourage you, don't let that to limit you and how you care for them. One of the ways you can simply care for them is when they come visit, like Josh is this morning. We're always going to have probably a sharing time in the morning during the first hour, probably, and probably then something Sunday night. Show up. Show up for that and listen and ask questions. You know what it means to someone coming off the field when all of a sudden like half the church, and we can do better than half, but half the church shows up to hear about the work. They're like, oh, they, 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 they mean this. They actually like love me and want to support me. There are ways to get connected with these other workers. Another question. It's kind of right here. Paphroditus came with a financial gift to help support I have to ask, are you doing what you can to financially sacrifice? I just give this sacrifice to support the work, the ministry that's happening all over the world. Have you thought and prayed about that for a while? If you haven't, maybe that's just where you start. You think and pray about it. And it looks like giving to this church first. 
Uh, this church, I love this church. Uh, this, ha- this is happening well before I came here. But so much of the budget goes to international and local work. So much of the expectations for the money brought in other ways and even the pastor's time is meant to be given to other churches. I know it sounds like maybe we are doing several conferences, but this, this is why. For the strength and good of other partners in the gospel. It means so much to these other workers. But maybe you're giving faithfully to the church and it's just worth it to ask, is there a worker that the Lord might be putting on your heart to give additionally to? If so, be free. Be free to give. I promise you, it will not prove to be a faulty investment. So I just listed a lot. I get it. Even as Whitney and I were kind of going through this passage, praying through this and talking about what this meant for our lives, it meant like it was a lot. It was overwhelming. What do we actually do? Well, I want to encourage you just with a couple things here. First of all, just pick one. Pick one worker, one work, and go deep with that. Secondly, remember this isn't on you. This is on the church. So if we as a church are all doing our part, oh, we can love and serve these workers so well. But maybe where I want to land the most weight to encourage you, to strengthen you to do this, is where Paul ends. You know, he says, I miss you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. That's spoken by someone who personally knows the affection of Jesus, has received the affection of Jesus. And the reality is, our affection, the capacity of our affection is always going to be limited by the amount of affection we have received from Christ Jesus. So if there's one point to maybe land on here, how are you receiving the affection of Jesus in your life? If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is maybe what I want you to land on. Yes, I do believe that living the Christian life is the best cause you could get behind that puts you in the best community. But it's not because of the community. As you well know, we don't get it right. As you well know, Christians will disappoint. But that's because we are not the Savior. Jesus is our Savior. His affection is what I want you to see. So any purpose you might get in life by being a part of a church, by being on mission, it's only because you're connected to Jesus. And so just as we have decided to believe in Jesus, to turn to him and trust him with, I mean, everything in our life, that's what we'd invite you to do even this morning. If you have questions about that, just ask somebody around you. You don't have to talk to a pastor. We're happy to talk to you. You can come find us anytime, but talk to anyone around you and they would be happy to tell you more about this good news. Well, as we spend time with Jesus, our mutual love for one another will grow and it'll grow particularly in in character, which is where Paul is going to turn next with his prayer. Paul shifts to pray that this partnership in the gospel would grow as their love matures in character through Jesus Christ. So listen as I read this prayer from verses 9 through 11, as we move to the second and shorter point 
and abounding love. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Uh, You know, Paul prays that their love would abound and that it would blossom through all the life until it fully blossoms on that final day when Jesus returns. We live in Portland. We see this all the time. This is the city of roses. Roses grow really well here because of the soil and the climate. And so we see that these rose bushes are constantly strengthened and then until they, they finally bloom. Well, prayer is kind of similar for us, that our love would blossom. But in what? Well, it, it says that we grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Is that where you expected that to go? I don't, did that feel like a juke? Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, maybe we expected more affectionate terms or maybe action terms like we did in the first section. And often, like, especially in our culture, love and knowledge and discernment seem to be like pitted against each other, yet they work like they need each other. Love grows through knowledge and discernment. I mean, have you seen, you've seen those failed proposal videos, right? where some, a guy at a game, they wait for the camera to come in and zero in on them. He sees his big moment. He gets on his knee or does whatever he does. Ask the question. His eyes are big. He thinks he knows the answer. He thinks he knows. And then he gets the ring out. And then you just see pure terror come over that, that poor woman's eyes. Like, like bro, you misread this. <laughs> like, you didn't think to find out, to know if your, if your girlfriend wanted to be engaged? You didn't think to know that your introvert wouldn't want to share this intimate moment with 25,000 of her closest strangers? Like, I don't feel bad for you, dude. I feel bad for her. Like, you, I believe you genuinely love her, but our love has to grow in knowledge and discernment. It has to. So the same thing here applies. Paul's prayer is that the love of the church for one another would increase in knowledge and and discernment. For love to increase, so does knowledge and discernment. But again, just asking, why and how does this discernment grow the character of love? Well, we see that in the next verse. So that you may approve the things superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Remember again that... You know, we live in Portland where roses grow because we live in a superior climate for them to grow. Paul is saying we want to grow in discernment and knowledge so that we can know what is superior, what is best out of the good. And what does he have in mind? Right? I, I think we get some glimpses of it when we look later in the book. In Philippians 2, verse 3, Paul is saying to consider others as more, more important than yourselves. And this is in stark contrast with the self-promoters, the self-righteous that we see in chapter 3, where Paul says, watch out or discern for the dogs, those evil workers, these enemies of gospel growth who mutilate the flesh. This group is trying to earn their way by their own credit, their own standing to God, and thereby undermining the very good news, the very work of Jesus. 
you know, growing in knowledge of what is superior starts here. And considering others better, just as Christ considered it was worth it for him to leave the glories of heaven and take on flesh because we were not able to grasp who God was. Didn't matter what he deserved or what he could do per se. It mattered that he humbly gave himself to the people around him. And maybe this is a good time to just internally check yourself about how you consider yourself in relation to those around you. You know, is there something that you think gives you an upper hand over the person that's next to you? I don't know. It could be possibly your gender. It could be your ethnicity. It could be that you have a particular set of spiritual gifts that you think are especially important. And therefore you think you're just a little bit more needed than everyone else. Or maybe you're jealous of someone else who has those gifts. None of these things make you superior to those around you. We are all in Christ and Christ has gifted us to serve one another. And the point, the aim is to love one another. So even as you're thinking about how can I serve the church, it's really easy to think, well, I've done this before, or I really love to do this. I would encourage you to not even think about that. I would encourage you to look at a person and say, what does that person need? How can I honor that person more? And then do it. Lo and behold, your gifting will probably come out, but that's not even the point. The point is that you honor those around you. Or maybe some of us, as we think about what is superior, you know, this, this idea of, of partnership also carries this idea of, of, like, friendship. Like, do we honor each other by actually just being friends with people and not always requiring, actually, a task? <laughs> it's an important idea, I think, in a nation that increasingly feels lonely. This is where our individualism has led us. We all feel lonely. What can you do to abound in love through knowledge and discernment to love the lonely around you in a superior way? It takes talking, it takes listening, it takes caring. Well, this superior love really then points to the end goal that we see next, that, that we may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You know, this idea of purity has to do with like transparent character. This idea of blameless has to do with like not stumbling or not offending anyone. This idea of righteousness has to do with uh, treating others the way we ought in accordance to God's word. And on that final day, we're going to get there. Actually, again, God's going to finish the work that he started. It's, can you imagine actually being pure, not having impure thoughts, actually being blameless, not offending those around you on accident or on purpose, or actually just, it's your natural instinct to rightly treat the person next to you. Oh, that's what we have to look forward to. But until then, Paul's prayer is that our love would grow and knowledge and discernment to know what is superior so that we may begin to live this out now. Have a transparent culture with one another. 
that's not trying to one-up each other, but it's actually living out honestly before one another. And it says then at the end, as the first section ended, pointed that it's, it's God that does the work, it's Christ that gets the glory. Well, we see this here, that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. And this is an image that's not new to people who would have read the Old Testament. There are all kinds of images of trees that flourish and fruitfulness. And if you click on those hyperlinks of those Old Testament references, they're not going to go to another man because another man didn't get that right. When you click on that hyperlink to see what does this lead to, it leads to Jesus. That's what we heard earlier when Psalm 1 was read. That Jesus was the one who perfectly fed off the streams of water, of God's good character, his word, his power, and flourishes. And guess what happens when we are in Christ and we live through Christ? That fruitfulness comes right through him, through us. And again, as our love abounds in knowledge and discernment to know what is superior. This verse ends where it can only end, saying that it is to the glory and praise of God. Again, it's, it's God that started the work. It's God that continues the work and will finish the work. He's the author of salvation. He's the center of our partnership. He's the one who finishes what he started in us. He's the one who defines affection. He's the one who matures our love. He's the one who has laid out the superior way. He's the one that makes us pure and blameless on that final day. Therefore, all the glory is his. And if we want to end our lives in the most meaningful way, well, it's found with God. Dwelling with God, praising him all the days of our life. So, This is what Paul prays for people he loves. Do we pray like this for people that we love? You know, part of the reason we're doing this this series, you'll hear say often that we want to pray biblically. We want to pray what the Bible prays. And so we're getting different glimpses of the life of different churches and seeing, therefore, how we pray for these specific churches. I think this has something to say about how we pray for one another Today, you know, all the other prayers, they might say, Lord, would you cause faith, love, and hope to increase? But Paul here dials in to love because he's talking about an affectionate partnership. So we're going to end this sermon by trying to practice what we preach, by trying to prove our affection. And we're simply just going to pray together uh, First of all, for our partners in the gospel. Tammy, would you put that first slide up? So this is simply that verse that's adapted to pray. And what I'm going to have us do is I want you to bring to mind just one one partner in the gospel. It could be one of our missionaries. That could be someone like the shorts that we just sent out to Hillsborough. They're just landed in Hillsborough. All right, do, do you all have someone in mind? I need some nods. I didn't get many nods. Yeah. Okay. I got enough. I got enough. All right. So what we're going to do is we're just going to pray this out loud together. And I want you to pray this for this partner in the gospel. I pray that their love will keep on growing and knowledge and every kind of discernment 
so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. What helps me pray these prayers so that this this language comes up more automatically is, is repetition. So like during the week, I'm just going to pray this every morning for whoever I'm praying for. So we're going to get another rep in. And instead of praying for our gospel partners that are out there, we're going to pray for one another. And we're going to pray the same prayer. And as we pray this for one another, I want you to both pray it for the other and receive it from the other. Okay, let's put that second slide up. I pray that your love will keep on growing and knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Well, I think all of us, yeah, we're, we're looking for a tight-knit, tight-knit community with a cause. And the question is, what cause should we get behind? You know, at the end of Joe Rant's live, one of the boys in the boat, he had his gold medal to remind him of the remarkable task that they accomplished and the friendship that he had formed with these men. But then again, he couldn't take this medal with him. What are we going to hold on to at the end of life as the memento to remind us that we have community and purpose in Christ Jesus? Paul is reminding us here that this affectionate partnership in the gospel we share in is indeed remarkable. And we may receive different mementos as we remember maybe a particular discipling relationship or group of friends that we had in church, but none of those will compare to the final day when we see Jesus. And we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we receive the prize of our salvation, new bodies, and we will be with God and dwell with his people forever and ever. No more disappointments, no more challenges. It will all have been worth it. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what life throws at me, the challenges it throws at me, because I believe we truly share in an affectionate partnership in the gospel that only gets better with time. Would you take a moment right now just to silently reflect and pray on what we just heard, on this partnership in the gospel? Oh God, we thank you that you allow us to participate, to partake of, of the gospel, to be eternally bound to Jesus because of the work that you have started and will complete. And thank you because we are bound to Jesus. We are therefore bound to one another. Lord, I pray that this morning uh, that that would not be lost on us, that we would treasure this partnership we have that you have so generously given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.